You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. Music. I'm your host, Brent Simmons. In the studio with me today is Tim Eckel, OmniFocus engineer and man with a very short name, Tim Eckel. Say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. We'll start with just a couple listener questions. Multiple listeners have asked, this may be difficult to answer, is Jim Korea right? So I've given this some thought, and I think, I think the answer is often. Often? It's wow. often right. I'm not willing to cop to all the time. Okay. But I think if I don't give them better than a 50% success rate, I get a demerit or three. Oh, yeah. And that's something to avoid. Don't demerits usually come in threes? They almost always come in yeah, threes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And he's generous with them. He is. Which is liberal. stretching the meaning of the word generous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then Jim Correa asks, is Evan McNulty right? Oh, flipping it around. Yeah. Um, you see the trick here. Yeah. So he's, he's trying to set me up. Yeah. And I'll give Evan an often as well. Okay. Probably I'll set him up against each other. I think Evan's <laughs> a little more right than Ooh. Jim. Ooh, smackdown. We're going to have to have a future episode where the three of you are all here debating mm-hmm. whether or not Jim is right. We don't even care, Jim, right about what in particular. Yeah. It's just the question. It's the blanket the question. statement, yeah. So uh, you're on the OmniFocus team, engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you do? What, what's, your, what's your thing? So lately, the last couple of years, my thing has been kind of the data model and sync. So whenever we're talking about making any kind of changes to your database, whenever we're introducing new clients, whenever we're letting you move new kinds of changes around between your Mac and your iOS devices, at some point I get involved and I work on how we represent those things on disk and how we move them across the network. Mm-hmm. So you're um, all into XML and WebDAV and oh, all yes. these, there's some SQLite involved in here, There's I a think. bunch of SQLite involved. There's some encryption our crypto layer for all making right. sure your data stays secure we get to play with all kinds of third-party sync services that are all still web dev but maybe work mm-hmm. a little differently and then whenever there's a problem that someone reports that winds up in one of those layers a lot of times i get my hands on an anonymized copy of that database and it's my job to spend a couple of days and figure out why that sounds like fun if you like that kind of thing yeah <laughs> it's certainly interesting uh-huh. Uh-huh. Was all that syncing code originally yours, or did you had you taken it over? No, I guess you've I, been on the project like seven years. Yeah, so since it I started at Omni. Yeah, actually, my first, my very first feature at Omni was reminders capture from Siri. That was mm. the time when Siri was just starting to get to let you dictate reminders into the system reminders app, and we wanted some way to to get those into OmniFocus. Okay. Um. So I started off in the model because you know have to work in the model in order to create new tasks in your database, but I didn't come into syncing until a few years later when I was working on attachments, I think. Something mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Is Focus the only app you've worked on here? Or Yeah. I mean, there are very occasional detours I take to make sure that a changeover in Focus doesn't break someone else, but okay. by and large, it's the only app I've spent any significant amount of time on. I've heard that in the old days, uh, a new engineer would often be assigned to something that isn't customer-facing mm-hmm. right at first. You managed to skip over 
Yeah, that, it sounds um, like a lot of new folks get assigned or got assigned, I should say, to Omni Bug Zapper, our internal bug tracking tool. And I think because I joined up in the summer and there was a lot of work to do, and it was right after WWDC, and we had oh, a ship right. date coming up, so I managed to dodge that assignment. Which Cause, actually, because you were needed immediately, that's yeah. the, that's how summers go. Yeah. yeah. That actually came back to bite me a couple of years later when we had some interns in and they were assigned to work on Omnibug Zapper. Okay. And so they'd come to me with questions and I'd have to say, well, I don't know. Let's read some know. code together. Right. <laughs> so do you end up doing much user interface work then, given that you're mainly in the model and syncing and all that kind of stuff? Uh, I'll still do some. Whenever there's a kind of a major new feature, I'll wind up implementing it in the model and then kind of bubbling it outward to the, the user okay. interface. So for example, this this latest feature that we're working on with dropping actions, well, I started in the model and then have kind of done a bare minimum user interface so that we can at least start testing it and then I'll polish it up or someone else will take it and, and drive mm-hmm. it that last mile mm-hmm. over the finish line. That's cool though. You get to work in all parts of the app yeah. essentially, really. You're not like assignments aren't rigid. You're not like mm-hmm. the guy who only does this and right. you know. It's like the native app version of being a full-stack developer. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What are some of the rewarding aspects of working on OmniFocus? Oh, there's a bunch. One of the things that really stands out to me is how I can see such a direct impact on our customers. There will be times when I'll work on a feature or fix a bug, and it'll get rolled out into a release you know, a couple months or even a couple weeks later, and I can immediately see people posting about it online saying, you know, oh, I use this and it really changed my workflow. People write in and thank us for fixing a crash that was affecting them a lot. And that's really nice. That kind of direct influence is really nice to see, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that I think Omni does really well where we focus on helping out our customers directly. For those of us who've always worked on customer-facing software, mm-hmm. it is one of the best parts, right? Yeah. If you're doing enterprise or something, you learn that somebody, you know, made their numbers because of a thing you fixed. And mm-hmm. that's not as big a deal, right? right? It doesn't feel the same way. Right. Or I get, you know, I get to implement a feature and, you know, get thanked internally, but never hear about how that actually played in the real world. Sure. Right. Yeah. What about working on a team? We're actually physically there with, with the people. Yeah. Largely. I mean, Reed's Largely. not in, but mostly, yeah. It feels like cheating to say this because, you know, this is... Like I said, the only company that I've worked at since mm-hmm. since graduating school, but this is the best team I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Everyone here is, you know, we all kind of share that same customer-oriented focus, and we're all worried about what's best for the people who are actually using our apps. We all trust each other to do the right thing. We're all given a lot of leeway on making sure that, you know, the app works correctly and fits in on the platforms and is well-architected. And at the end of the day, it's just a really nice experience to to work with everyone here. And that, that spans all departments too, right? You know, it's not just the engineers that I chat with. support and everything. Exactly. Design, marketing, everyone. Yeah. Marketing. That's what we're doing right here. Hey. (laughs) There was a question from uh, Tim Stringer and he wondered what your favorite feature request for OmniFocus is. Ooh. A thing that's not in there yet, but, and you're not promising that it will be. No, absolutely not. You know, Um, just wondering if you had a favorite feature request. Yeah, I think, so my favorite feature requests are always the ones that I could see using myself. And it, within that category, there are the things that I would really love that I think will never make it in there. Like I remember proposing a feature one time where tasks 
highlight color got darker and darker the longer you ignored it. Oh, nice. So it just yeah. kind of you know loomed over you until you finally yeah. finished it. Um, <laughs> more reasonably, I think one of the ones, and again, you know, not not even on the roadmap at this point. Right. Um, but I think people have been asking for mutually exclusive tags. So, you know, we introduced tags in OmniFocus right. 3, and some people use the tagging system to assign tasks like an energy level. Say, you know, this is high energy and requires a lot of focus and concentration, whereas these other tasks are low energy, and I can kind of knock them out whenever. Um, and you can imagine wanting those two to be exclusive, so you can't label something both high and low energy. Sure. And so people have requested a way to kind of link those tags together and say, mm. hey, if I assign one of these unassign all the rest or make sure I only have one on there. We need tags sort of like enumerations. Sort of. Yeah. yeah. I'm back to thinking about the tasks that age, like they should get redder and angrier or mm-hmm. something as time goes by. Yeah. And then eventually they should start making some little screaming sounds or mm-hmm. something when they come on screen. I think that's where the, uh, the blink tag really makes a mm-hmm. triumphant reappearance. Right. Yeah. So have you found um, working on the code itself? It existed before you started. You've been mm-hmm. on it for seven years. Mm-hmm. But um, is it a joy to work with? Is it rewarding to work with? Yeah, I think so. Certainly it's a, a complex enough app and a complex enough code base that it's, it's always interesting, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm engaged. It's not like I'm coming in day after day to just kind of write the same rote repetitions of you know, some boring form or whatever. Right. Uh, there's definitely a lot of very interesting problems to be solved. And like I said earlier, we're all given a lot of leeway and we're all trusted enough to know when the time is to refactor or re-architect something or to modernize a particular right. corner of the code you know, rewrite it in swift maybe mm. and so from that standpoint it's always been really fun to kind of get you know a new feature or even a bug in an area that hasn't been touched in a while and kind of be able to go to town so how'd you come to omni I was first introduced to Omni by one of my professors at my alma mater Rose Holman Institute of Technology uh, Indiana, yes, right? In Terre Haute, Indiana. Yeah. Small school, small town, entirely STEM focused, okay. uh, science, technology, engineering, math. The professor was Kurt Clifton, who I listeners might recognize. Yeah. I had had him for a couple of classes for, I think, data structures and for um, programming language principles. And my senior year, he took a sabbatical to come work at Omni for a little while. And about halfway through, I got an email from him saying, Hey, I uh, just wanted to let you know that Omni has an engineering position open, and here's the posting. Um, if you're interested, you should send in a resume. At the time, I was going through all like the, the mock interviews and the practices and everything because mm-hmm. I knew I needed to line myself up a job pretty soon. Right. So I thought, hey, this, is actually, this actually looks like a pretty cool place to work. And so I sent a resume in, and I think it was like a month later, I was you know, crashing on the floor of Kurt's office and taking my interview. Wow. Yeah. How long did you crash on the floor uh it was only the one night okay. um yeah. it was an, an out and back mm-hmm. <laughs> how were the panels because what do we do do we do two, two i think panels? it's two panel yeah a, um i'll be honest with you panel yeah this was my first like real interview right that okay. i'd done a couple of the practice ones but this was the one for a job that i could actually see myself doing and so i was pretty nervous about it and i don't remember a whole lot mm. of the panels themselves i'm pretty sure there were two yeah um, right. We were in the uh, the previous Omni building at the time, Omni 4. Okay. Um, and I think that conference room was pretty full, mm. but it's it's all a blur. Did they have you do uh, the old whiteboard interview things? Reverse this linked list in place or whatever. Uh, no, they've actually, 
in my opinion, Omni was ahead of the curve on on ditching those questions. Oh, um, good. The one thing I do remember they had me do was Omni publishes a bunch of open source frameworks. And so they had me pick out a class from their frameworks or, you know, they picked it or something mm-hmm. and said, here's a link to some of the code that we've written that, you know, we're shipping. It's in our production apps today. Look over it and we'll talk about it when you get here, right? Prepare some questions, make sure that you have a general sense of what the code actually does and just, you know, be prepared to have an, an intelligent discussion. And I thought that was a really cool interviewing tactic because it reflects what you'd actually be doing in a job where you have to walk in and sure, yeah. read Talking code. About code, code yeah. yeah. Without relying on kind of the gimmicky, you know, do you know what a linked list is? Mm-hmm. Can you manipulate a pointer? That kind of stuff. Right. So did you pick a class? I picked a class. I read all of five lines into it before I got hung up on a macro. <laughs> Sounds like my first day of work here, actually. Because yeah. it, was, it was still Objective-C at the time, right? Swift right. had not been invented yet. And so one of the first things I stumbled across was our macro that we put in all our files. It's called RCSID. And what mm-hmm. it does is embed some information about the file into the compiled binary. Okay. So it goes straight from the source into the binary so that if we're, you know, we get that binary back or we need to analyze one of our apps that's already been built, we can pull out that version information Oh, no matter what. Okay. And so you had to figure out how that worked? And- yeah. Well, I, I don't think I had to, but I certainly got distracted and then uh, I did. Okay. Um, and so most of the discussion that was supposed to be about this, this class, this like gesture recognizer class or whatever, mm-hmm. wound up being about tricks you can pull with C macros instead. <laughs> Great. I'm wondering the origin of that macro would it have been a Tim Wood thing or a Wim thing. I'm betting it was Tim or Ken. Tim or um, Ken, yeah, because it it lives down in um, OmniBase, mm-hmm. which uh, was a 1990s. That's an old framework. Yeah, bunch of stuff there. Yeah. So before Omni, you were at uh, at college, Rose Hallman. Mm-hmm. Um, you grew up in Chicago. We say Chicago. Sure. Um, everyone, everyone from that area says Chicago. Really, it was the suburbs. Okay. Yeah. Chicago, roughly. Yeah. It's like if you live in, I mean, Gus often says Seattle. He yeah. lives in Mukilteo. But right. Seattle. Yeah, shoreline, that kind of stuff. Yeah, right. And what was that like? I was, I don't know. It was Seemed normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. I was certainly, I knew I was into computers really early. Like this, you know, going Max? to Rose. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, first computer was a Mac LC3, if I remember right. Mm. Um, Color. Yeah. So I knew I wanted to get into computers as, as a hobby, as a career. And that's what, you know, part of what sent me to Rose and then eventually to Omni. So how'd you get involved in the Seattle Xcoders? Uh, we should first say for our listeners who don't know, it's a local group of largely developers, but it doesn't have to be limited to that. And we've got three locations now, mm-hmm. Seattle, Redmond, and Vancouver. And the idea is we meet once a month or whatever it is, there's talks then some socializing afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're one of the organizers nowadays. Yeah. It didn't start out that way. It started out, I actually first started attending the related group, NS Coders, mm-hmm. which is less a Tech Talks meetup and more of a um, come to a coffee shop, bring your laptop, bring your projects, Q&A sort of a thing, where you can get help from other nearby developers. And after going there for a couple of weeks, that was I think that was another group that uh, Kurt has introduced me to right after I oh, moved sure. out. because. You know, I wasn't familiar with the Seattle area, and he had just spent a year getting acclimated to the Seattle area, and so mm-hmm. could pass some of that forward. So he brought me to Ennis Coders, and then um, I think Hal Mueller might have introduced me to Xcoders okay. on Thursdays. And so went to a couple of talks, and 
kind of became a regular there Mm -hmm. and over the years just got more and more involved. Now here we are. Now you're organizing. What's the, uh, is it a lot of work? Thankfully, no, it's pretty light as far as workload goes. And we actually, you know, we take some steps to keep it that way, right? We don't want to, you know, have to be responsible for all of your money, for example. So there's no dues. We don't, you know, collect yeah, that's or a good disperse thing, any kind of money. That changes everything. Yeah. yeah. Right. So mostly my job entails lining up speakers and making sure that they have all the resources that they need to succeed. And even that is less onerous than it sounds, right? You know, mm-hmm. we'll meet up every couple of weeks and someone will be talking about, I had to solve this interesting problem at, at work a couple of days ago. And I say, oh, that is really interesting. You should think about giving a talk about that. Right. And it turns out that if you do that for long enough to enough people, you kind of get a backlog <laughs> of folks who are, you know, have a topic that they could talk about for 20 minutes or 40 minutes or what oh, have That's you. cool. So what's the rewarding aspect of Xcoders? I think I can think of, of one offhand that mm-hmm. um, might not be obvious, which is that it seems that a lot of the speakers are new speakers. I oh, for sure. the very first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I ran the numbers for last year. I like to run the numbers every year and see how many of our speakers are, are brand new on stage. And I think last year it was right around 50%. Oh, that's amazing. So we meet, you know, talks once a month um, and we'll have anywhere from like one long talk to five or six lightning talks in any given month. So it's, you know, upwards of a dozen people who have never given a talk before mm-hmm. who get to come to Xcoders and have this, you know, really receptive, really welcoming audience kind of shepherding them on. I've always liked that the audience is rooting for the speaker to succeed. Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what we tell a lot of people is they're afraid that they'll get up there and that people will be pointing out their mistakes. But Mm -hmm. in reality, what happens is you give a talk and everyone is so eager to tell you what went right. Yeah, yeah. What they learned or what you explained really well. And we've had some people come through Xcoders who've then later gone on to do a lot of talks at bigger actual conferences and so on. Yeah, Liz Marley has made quite the... The pattern of mm-hmm. starting or practicing a talk and then polishing it up and off she goes to the conference circuit and she's come up with some some really great technical talks that way. And I think we will soon have Shannon Hughes, our mm-hmm. coworker, doing a kind of a beta version of her talk at mm-hmm. Xcoders and she's delivering it at UIConf, I think. Yeah. So out in yeah, is that Berlin? Sounds right. I'm not sure. Okay. But also the um uh, the social aspect has yeah. to be important. Oh, the community, right? Yeah, yeah, the community is hugely important, and I mean that's one of the most rewarding parts for me. Mm-hmm. Is that you know I'll I'll go to every talk and listen and enjoy the the presentations, but it's not like I can go to a talk about you know say a filmography app and come back and apply that to OmniFocus, right? It's sure. not it's not technical information that's immediately going to be applicable to my work Mm -hmm. but at the same time i get to go out i get to see all of the the local developers that i might not otherwise have a chance to cross paths with to encourage people in their own work and hear about what's new at other companies and yeah you know what other tech trends there are Mm -hmm. so it's definitely as much a social group as it is a technical one 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 part i really like is even if the talk has nothing to do with any work i would maybe ever do Mm -hmm. i like learning a bit more how other developers think because mm-hmm. it helps me, helps round out my own ability to think. For sure. Which is nice. Yeah, and in that vein, it's really nice when folks who are not developers by day come in to, and give talks. We've had some great talks by designers and from business people who are talking about maybe other aspects of building or of marketing or selling apps. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not something I'm going to do, but it really helps me to understand how apps 
kind of succeed and flourish in the marketplace nowadays and what right. best practices are in other fields. I think our best attended talk ever was the one about design and implementation for the Apple Watch. It was a joint hmm. engineering and design talk back in January 17, okay. early in the year. Remember who, who did the uh, talk? That was Kurt Clifton and David Hong. Oh, okay. That's a powerful duo right there. Yeah, it yeah. is. No doubt. Speaking as we did a few seconds ago of Liz Marley, she asks, how many servers are in your closet at home? Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, I think right now, so there was just an electronics recycling event a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Um, so the number has dipped a bit. I think there's four powered on and another two or three sitting idle. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely down from the heyday when it was close to a dozen. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot of dang servers. Yeah. So why all the servers? What are you doing with all these machines? Uh, are, well, you, are you mining cryptocurrency? I'm not mining cryptocurrency. <laughs> I think my electric company would have more to say to me if I were. My follow-up um, question was going to be, do you have squirrels and wheels running <laughs> your electricity? So like I said, you know, I knew I wanted to get into computing at an, at an early age, and then it's been a hobby of mine for a while. And one of the ways that manifests is like, you know, I come in and I write code all day. So when I go home, I don't necessarily want to be writing more code to unwind. Mm-hmm. So instead, sometimes I like to see, I think, you know, nowadays we would call it DevOps or sysadmin work. Okay. I kind of like to experiment and play around with hosting some of my own services, right? So I, mm-hmm. a couple of my websites are hosted out of the house. There's a, a mail service that I use that I host. And of course, it's not super reliable, right? Like mm. the power of the internet goes out to the house, it's going to go down. So I wouldn't use it for, for business purposes, but right. for, you know, signing up for mailing lists here and there, it's perfect. Mm. I have a, you know, source control, I use GitLab, I host GitLab, that internally. Yeah, yeah. Really gotten into Docker in the last month or two. Uh, everyone loves uh, Docker. Yeah, which that turned out to be really helpful, just serendipitously. Mm. I needed to work with Docker like three weeks after I learned it on my own. So <laughs> it's funny how often that kind of happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's a neat coincidence. Yeah. So my question, I guess I'm a listener. I do. I listen to every episode. So it's a listener question. My question is, why all the beers? All the beers. So in addition to having a, a computing hobby, I'm, I tend to be a bit of a completionist in a lot of things that I pick up. You know, you know there are a lot of beers. Oh, yeah. So being a completionist is... I'm working on it. <laughs> so I found this app a few years ago. It's called Untapped. Um, And in the tradition of app naming at the time, it was spelled without the E. Naturally. And it's one of those where, you know, you can go and you're drinking a beer and you just type in the the brewery and the name and it pops up a list of suggestions, all crowdsourced. And you can Mm. pick it and say, oh, you know, here's what I think of it. Give it a rating, describe the flavor, say where you bought it, who you're drinking it with, that kind of stuff. And after a little while, I noticed that it started keeping statistics Mm. of you know, how many beers I've had and how many were unique, you know, brand new that I had never had before. And, you know, it'll give you flavor recommendations as well and say, you know, oh, last time you had this beer, you rated it four stars or two and a half stars and, you know, maybe have it again, think about not having it, what have you. But my friends and I noticed that you can look at each other's beer counts. Of course, it's a Um, social app. Yeah. So this this got competitive pretty quickly. (laughs) I have to ask what are your actual numbers here? Uh, total beers is total is about fifteen hundred, uh, and of those, the uniques are about twelve hundred, which I feel pretty, pretty good high. about. That's yeah, that's a great ratio. Yeah, yeah. and you're, especially you're not repeating beers much. No, yeah. and I mean, like you said, you know, there's a lot, and so I I always feel really good when I'm at somewhere that the beer is listed as like 
out of production or something. Because mm-hmm. what that tells me is, ah, you know, I get to drink one of the last of these and then no right. one else can, no one else <laughs> I'm competing against can check it in. Nice. So do flights count? Oh, flights absolutely count. Okay. Because um, you tasted it and that's yeah. enough. All right. Yeah, there's a little field in there for serving style, and one of the options is taster. So okay. people right. tried to, to guilt me about, oh, you didn't have a, a full pint of that. But mm. I say, no, 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 it's a taster. Right. It seems like that's going to be a lifelong thing because you're not going to reach the end of the beers. Oh, I'm sure. No matter how completionist you yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah, there's always always somewhere new to go, always right. some new, new so breweries new popping, beers. popping yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. I got a friend who's opening his pushback, I think, till August maybe now. But yeah, there mm. will be a new brewery. Nice. In Ballard coming up. Excellent. One of my favorite stories about finding a new place is um, my fiance came home one day from work and said, hey, do you want to go on a beer adventure? Mm -hmm. I said, well, tell me more. She goes, well, I'm driving home and I notice that there's this garage warehouse door that's open and it's got a banner hung across it. It says, Dirty Couch Brewing. Mm. Wow. We'd never heard of this place. Uh And, you know, it's not a tasting room or anything. It was just a a warehouse. Right. It's a Friday afternoon. What what else am I going to do? So we walk down there and sure enough, there's a guy just with a folding table and a couple of open bottles of beer, like (laughs) pouring tasters out of the, nice out of his stock. And was it good or did it taste like a dirty couch? uh, It was really good. It was maybe the most unfortunate name of a brewery that I've visited (laughs) in Ballard, but the beer was really good. Um, They're exclusively sour beers. Oh, okay. You're a fan of sour beers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a barrel-aged sour they had that I really liked. What's barrel-aged mean? They take it and either, you know, as it's fermented or once it's close to done, they'll take the beer and seal it in a barrel that had been previously used to age some kind of liquor. Oh, okay. So um, it could be whiskey or something yeah. like that. I see. Yeah. Okay. This one might have been sherry. All right. Does it then pick up? Some notes from what had been there? A little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly the the flavor is mostly baked in from what the beer is fermented with, but right. it will definitely be influenced by the, huh. the wood in the barrel. That sounds pretty cool. So, Sounders game today. Yeah. Going to it? Oh, yeah. We're recording listeners on April 24th, so yeah. there may not be a game when this comes out. But, yeah, but today uh, it's San Jose. San Jose. Bay Area. Yeah. They're terrible though, right? They're not as good as the Sounders. Yeah, okay. That, that's what matters. Uh, yeah, Sounders have been, they've been pretty good this season. Uh, didn't do so hot this past weekend, but other than that, I think it's one of the best starts in, in the league in quite a while. Good. Yeah. So that's um, association football, right? Yes. Isn't that what they call it? I, I, in the I'm, early episodes, I remember teasing Christina and I think Kurt over Association football um, as the name. Probably. Right. Um, I'm, I'm from the Midwest. All I was ever to raised, raised to call it was soccer. Yeah. Go to every game? Go to as many as I can. Uh, I've got season tickets I've had for quite a while. Um, that was another thing that coworkers got me into. Um, mm-hmm. There was a, a big group of folks here at Omni that would go to every game. And over time, I'd you know be borrowing tickets and then be buying tickets and Eventually realized I was going to well more than half of them. So I thought, all right, well, we'll yeah, just that's get. That's when you get season tickets, Yeah, right? just got yeah. season tickets. And that block has kind of dwindled of late, but you know, I've still got the, the tickets and we still mm-hmm. make it down to just about everyone we can. Well, we'll wrap it up then. Thanks, Tim. How can people find you on the web? People can find me at my blog at timeckle.com or on Twitter at Timothy Eckel. I'd also like to thank our intrepid producer, Mark Bosco. Say hello, Mark. Hello, Mark. Mark always tries to mimic exactly how I say hello, Mark. Say hello, Mark. Hello. (laughs) And especially, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you.
music. Thank you.